0: This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. Hey Beth, how's it going?
1: Hey Noah, you know what? It's pretty great right now. This is the last day of the 2020 school year for my family and for me, and so one day and it's a little bit of a break. So I'm excited.
0: That's excellent. By the way, welcome to Write Answers, everybody. So Beth, what's going on at OWP right now?
1: Noah. Good things. So one of the things is we're continuing our series of ways to support teachers as writers. So we have, uh, we're in the middle of a writing group right now, and that's, we've been meeting on Saturdays, and open enrollment for that for our next one will pop up in the next five weeks. So find us on social media to get that information. And then we're excited about a writing pop-up event that's going to show up at the end of December into January for the NCTE conference proposals we thought we'd support each other for writing up a conference proposal, so that'll be coming. And then, actually, Noah, the um, Ohio Writing Project Professional Development. I was worried this year that we weren't going to get to talk to teachers as much because it's been busy, but we have found lots of ways to support teachers in schools this year, and we're still doing it. So. Um, we're excited anytime we get to work with K-12 teachers about literacy in schools, and we do it virtually, face-to-face, hybrid. So that has been super interesting. And I hope that we just keep doing that, keep working with more teachers in the next semester.
0: And the thing I wanna say about Ohio Writing Project PD, if we can do just a shameless plug for a minute, is a lot of us were- I love
1: shameless plugs. Okay, too. good.
0: So. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be shameless then, not shameful. Um, a lot of the A lot of us were caught so off guard when things went to remote or to hybrid or to face-to-face, but we might go remote at any second. OWP has been doing this kind of work for a long time. Like OWP has been offering hybrid classes, remote classes, in a really, really effective way, and I can say this because I have taken these classes really effective way for a long time. So I feel like the Ohio Writing Project has been especially ready for whatever this moment has had to bring. So I'm excited just to be associated with it because this PD work is really powerful work, Beth.
1: You know, thanks, Noah. I think that one of the things that I want to say about it is that, um, you know, so often in professional development as teachers, what we need to feed us as teachers is hearing how other teachers are making it work and how have other teachers learned to do it and then having the space to figure it out together. And Ohio Writing Project PD does that for literacy, for writing, for reading and for teaching remotely. So it's that same idea, like what have we learned as real teachers teaching real kids and real students and readers and writers and together we, we share that in PD. So if you're interested in Ohio Writing Project PD, check us out.
0: So speaking of what we've learned this year, I wanted to talk a little bit about it, Beth, because um, because my, our life got so complicated. My, we were supposed to move to Canada because my wife is doing her PhD work, but you know, border got shut down, COVID, they stopped processing visas. So we've had to have like a temporary plan until we could get into Canada. So this year I have been doing lots of different kinds of jobs. And among them, I've taught um, college English to freshmen at Cincinnati State. I've taught, um, I've been a substitute teacher in grades three through seven, and I've learned something that just kind of blew my mind, because I'd only taught sixth grade for my 14-year career up to this point. I have learned that good teaching is good teaching, no matter what grade, no matter who you're working with, no matter what the medium is, whether it's remote, hybrid, like I've taught all of these things. this semester, and I've actually written about it a little bit at Moving Writers, but that's why our theme this year at OWP was routines, right? And yeah. it's been grounding our routines and core beliefs, because if you know that good writing instruction happens at the one-on-one level through conferring, and if you know that good reading and writing instruction occurs through, you know, short mini lessons, building relationships, and through feedback.
1: Mentor text, putting students at the center. All these these things
0: can happen no matter what grade you're teaching. All these things can happen whether you're remote, hybrid, or wearing masks face to face. I've done them. (laughs) And it's not to say that every day is easy, but every day I feel like I've been able to do something that resembled or actually was good teaching in all of these weird circumstances. So even though it's been crazy and stressful, the thing I'm going to carry with me through the second semester and beyond is just remembering these core beliefs that ground me and who I am and building routines around them. So I was kind of curious, Beth, what, are some, what have you learned this year?
1: I have learned, Noah, that teachers are as amazing as I thought they were. Like we have, I've always said that teachers are flexible and I love working in a room of teachers. They're the smartest room in the world and they are um, so flexible. And this proved it, right? Like so many teachers that I know did exactly what you said, remembered and grounded themselves in good teaching and said, how do I make that happen? How am I going to adjust and how do I make good teaching happen? And so many things came at us as teachers this year and that being able to hold on to that and then keep thinking and keep working to catch that student that we haven't heard to uh, modify that lesson to not give up on rethinking our classrooms to keep making them and nudging them a little bit closer to what we expect them to be I mean teachers haven't stopped doing that hard work and it has just been a, a reminder about how proud I am to be part of this profession And December, thank you for the invitation. So all of us listening right now, um, go ahead. Like Take this invitation and think about something that you have learned here and something that you want to carry with you. So thanks, Noah.
0: Yeah. And while people are thinking about it, um, for today's poem, I I wrote a found poem uh, as part of a December writing project that was started by Abigail London, OWP teacher. You could follow her on Twitter at... Mrs. Ab Lund, M R S A B L U N D. Um, and one of the things I was doing is I was going through notebooks to figure out something I wanted to write uh the other day. And I pulled out my podcasting notebook, which I just filled up uh yesterday. And in my podcast, oh, the, the last page of a notebook. The last page of a notebook, it's the best feeling, right? <laughs> um, maybe that's what I'll write about today, but I've been writing all of my research, all of the prep work, and all of the notes I take while the interview's going on in one notebook. So I wrote a found poem uh, from this notebook. It's kind of a good end of year retrospective thing, I think. So here it is, found poem from my podcast prep notebook. How can we teach what you call the emphatically implicit, deciding what to cut from a unit of study, weaving workshop magic into a strict structured setup Know you are living in a historical moment, entering with a mindset of creation instead of completion. First 11 minutes, raising issues, taking stock, providing perspective. At the 21 minute mark, cut teacher gripes, skip to resources and ideas. We are flooded with resources and ideas and it's easy to lose track of what's essential, teachers teaching teachers. Can we make feedback into more of a dialogue connect to learning zone? If we are only teaching students to survive writing in the next academic phase of their lives, then we are. why are we even fretting over the craft of writing at all? What is and isn't privileged is rigorous. Can you be psychologically safe if you are not seen? How many of your best writing moves were intentional versus from a sort of muscle memory? What do you wish more people understood about writing? Writing is thinking on paper. And that's the found poem from what I've learned this year through podcasting.
1: How great to make a found poem of our teacher journals for the year. <laughs> that would be amazing.
0: Wouldn't that be a cool classroom activity to have students go through their notebooks to make a found poem?
1: Absolutely. So if anybody does that with their students, you should um, let us know on Twitter or at our OWP Instagram.
0: that'd be totally cool. That'd be amazing. At OWPMU. So let's get to today's interview. After the break, we enter what many teachers know to be the long, dark time of the soul, those January, February months where we wonder why we ever became teachers. And today's episode is just full of inspiration. I talked to Tracy Browder, host of the Intelligogy podcast and author of a book called Teach Happy. And if you haven't heard about it, it's because it hasn't come out yet. It comes out in February. And in our interview, we talked about what she learned as a writer from the process of completing a book and how it impacted her teaching. We also covered a wide range of topics from rocking remote learning to equity and even how interviewing her son for her podcast helped her see school through the eyes of a student. So here it is, my interview with Tracy Browder. So Tracy, you have a book coming out hopefully in February, Teach Happy is the title. Can you talk about some of this? uh, Can you talk a little bit about this upcoming release?
2: I can. um, You know that old saying, to know me is to love me, but to know me is to know how much I love teaching and and the joy that it brings. And so that's really what the book is about. And and there's this secret that I unpack. And um, when Dave and Shelly Burgess looked at the book, Shelly said, nobody has ever packaged happiness the way this is packaged. So I'm really excited about it. And and I will say at the core, here's the core of the book. As educators, we have to realize that teaching is a very precious and delicate gift. Um, We touch lives, we change lives, we impact lives, and, and it's a beautiful thing. So I hope that this is invigorating and refreshing, especially in the midst of a global pandemic and social injustice and all the heavy things in the world, that this is just a reminder of our why, a powerful reminder of our why.
0: I can't wait to hear or to read this book because when I listen, when I hear you talk about just your mission, your why on the Intelligoji podcast, which people should listen to if they aren't already. Um, one thing that just jumps out at me is your passion and your joy. I mean, even during like those early months of the school year in those episodes, when everybody's trepidatious and freaking out, you're happy. You're filled with joy when you're talking on your podcast. So I think that more people who can tap into whatever you've tapped into, it's gonna be a powerful thing.
2: I'm excited and I, that, that's exactly it. I wanna spread the joy. A book could have been called Spread the Joy. I mean, I really, really wanna spread the joy um, because we need it.
0: Absolutely. So as you wrote, like writing any book, even if it's a book you know everything about, like, cause it's how you teach, it's a massive undertaking, right? So what did you learn about maybe writing? from your experience writing this book?
2: Oh my goodness. So dear friend Dawn Harris and I, she's publishing at the same time. We're walking this together and we've been a great support system to each other. So I think the first thing is, I mean, hats off to people who can just do it on their own, but having a friend walking with me, I don't know that I know how to do it on my own. Like we're walking through it together. So um, it's the time management. And I just told her the other day, like, Looking back on the beginning of the process, there are things I would have done differently. I don't have regrets because it was a learning journey, but from the front end, I I would have definitely like managed that time a lot better. And and now I realize you have to carve out that time. You have to dedicate that time. You have to go in, shut the doors, but you also have to enlist your family and let them know, guys, I'm going to need help cooking dinner. I'm going to need help with this. Like you have to ask for the help. And my family has been amazing, amazing.
0: So it sounds like just being at, like home life is a big part of teaching that nobody talks about. Um, And that obviously it sounds like it's an important part of writing and just being able to have those strong communication skills with your family is crucial.
2: Absolutely, can't do it without them. So do you think that uh,
0: writing a book and learning that valuable lesson, it's something we want for all of our students, especially if if a student is um, dealing with homework, what are, what are some things that you took away that impacted your teaching?
2: Oh my goodness. You know, that, that whole, that empathetic piece that you're talking about right there. And, and it's that understanding. And that's, that's even in the core of the book that I, I try to, I do my best to let kids know I get it. You know, a homework is not, should not be a thesis. Homework should simply be an opportunity for families to engage in the learning process so honestly it's it's really not about how can we how does it how does writing help me help them it's how does writing help me continue to provide them those rich engaging fun learning experiences not homework at home
0: (laughs) you're making me feel like every teacher should be a writer because I mean, <laughs> these are important lessons that sometimes, like I know even, especially in the months of December, January, February, like the dark times of the soul, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just remembering what it's like to do this work can help us work with students and just be more, as you said, empathetic. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the school year, uh, over the summer, I guess it was, it was a an, ep, an episode of IntelliGoji. You were talking about how you were, instead of worried, you were inspired and excited about the possibilities of the school year, which I thought was a really powerful stance. And I'm kind of curious now that we're a semester in, how are you feeling?
2: Oh boy, um, Noah, you just, as you said that, honestly, like this, this, these feelings and emotions just flooded me. Um, so coming into the school year, I mean, we're coming into, we began this school year in a global pandemic We began this school year on the heels of shutting down school early. We started this school year in the midst of heightened racial and social injustice. We started this school year with um, kids who were going off to college going off differently kids in their senior year who are like, what about my scholarship opportunities? Kindergartners who are, should be coming into school and so many weren't. So with all of those things, like we have to bring the joy. And so, you know, it comes with a lot of self-awareness and spending time reflecting. But again, I go back to like, we impact lives. So my question to myself was, how, what kind of experience do I want to create for these children? Um, an experience where they can forget for a few hours that all of that yuckiness is going on.
0: So let's unpack just a little bit of how you set up. Since um, recently you started with your podcast, um, a series called Rocking Remote Learning, um, you talk a lot about the importance of first impressions and setting up. Can you tell, talk a little bit about how you set up your
2: remote learning classroom? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when, when I started out, I'm building the plane as I'm flying it, right? And so just standing in front of a screen and, and teaching and sitting down teaching, I, I felt like I had, I was in bondage. And so I'm like, this this is not it. This is not it. And it it, it boxed me in and that's not who I am. So I started trying to figure out, I stood in my classroom and looked around like, what can I change? How can I get their experience to mirror and be better than the in-person experience? And and one of the biggest things really is I, I encourage every educator who's teaching virtually to shift from solely standing in front of the computer bring another screen in, bring another computer in. And that way you're looking at your kids, but I'm I'm teaching here. So I'm, I'm, it's like they're in the classroom. You know, it's not always sharing a screen. When you're sharing the screen, you're completely disconnected. You can't see those connections the kids are making. You can't see the disconnects. You 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 can't see the kids. And that's, that's the key for remote learning. You have to see the kids. You have to be able to have that constant, consistent, uninterrupted eyes on.
0: There it is. I think that's probably the thought process, right? It seems like as I listened to all the rock and remote learning episodes, the through line is you're working for connection and not just for delivering content, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: It also seems like you're working hard in addition to like trying to recreate something that is either like or maybe even you've talked about exceeds the in-person experience. It seems like you're trying to also play to your individual strengths. Is that that accurate?
2: Yeah, you know, funny thing, so um, this was my mission when I started this remote learning journey is that I wanted kids to, if they had a choice, in kindergarten, I teach kindergarten, but I try to have the lenses of all grade levels, but I want every kiddo to think if they had a choice between virtual and in-person, hands down, they would choose virtual. Now, here's the thing, I've had parents email me and talk to their kids about, well, I was talking to Sally about, you know, going back at the end of the six weeks, and she's like, well, dude, do I get Miss Browder? And the parents are like, no, okay, well, I don't want to go. And so the kid ends up staying. Um, so what can we do to, to continue to create that? It, it's the connections, but it's not just the connections with the kids, it's the connections with the parents. It's, it's picking up the phone and calling, but not about, hey, I didn't see Sally on the call. It's like, how are you doing? Just how how's it going? And I, I I can't even begin to tell you. I could if you wanted to. The things that I've learned just from asking that one question—that they feel like you really care.
0: It's it, yeah, and it seems like this connects really well with the social emotional learning piece that you talk you talk a lot about this in a very passionate, um, an interesting way. Like when people, I think when teachers think social emotional learning, those who are on board with it. Um, They think about kids, but you've kind of flipped the script a little bit. It got me thinking differently.
2: You think about parents. Mm -hmm. Um. So, go ahead. Well, you know, I'm I'm asking people to rethink SEL, and when we say SEL, social emotional learning, there's this automatic assumption that we're solely talking about the learning process. And what I've seen is this trend of, it's not even really social-emotional learning, it's social-emotional activities. Oh, we did circle time, you know, or oh, we... It's it's so much more than that. So that's why I'm asking people to rethink it and think about it this way, meeting and exceeding the social emotional needs of teachers, parents, students, and administrators. So our needs are vast. They go far beyond the learning journey. And so when we think about it through those lenses, you're able to connect and, and just go so deeply with the parents, the teacher across the hall, the kids, the administrator, and really checking in on people.
0: I wanna also talk about, since you said teacher across the hall, the social emotional learning work that you do with teachers because it seems like maybe your upcoming book might connect a little bit into this. But I also heard you, like in a few other interviews, you talked about how um, when you're working with teachers, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to get everybody to get on board with something progressive or something good. Um, You said a really great quote. You said, you can think outside the box, but respect the box. Can you say a little bit more about what you meant by that?
2: You know, like, especially the new teacher, because I was that new teacher that came into the profession with fire and ideas and and not wanting to take over, but really wanting to add to, to be like the spice and the seasoning to a great piece of steak. I can't believe I just made that analogy. But <laughs> uh, That comes with, I, I noticed a lot of um, sadly kind of defensiveness by veteran teachers. And so what I learned is, you know, I have to realize that I, I'm, I'm new, I'm excited, I'm innovative, but I have to respect that space that's already there and, and figure out a way to meet, learn. Like the, the new teacher or anybody that has great ideas and you're trying to be a change leader, you have to listen, you have to know your people, you have to learn. And and it's it's not about your idea. It's about how to make this the best environment for teachers and kids. So when we approach it from those lenses, that's what I mean really about respecting that box. It's, it's knowing people. And when you understand and they see that you care about them and not just your agenda or your big idea, they'll go with you on the journey. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we all have a box that we're stuck inside as thinkers. It's just different from person to person, right? So we got to respect each other's, like, the boxes in which we think. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you said that really got me thinking about how we can break outside of those own personal boxes that we have is you ask the question, what's holding you back? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that?
2: the reason i asked that question is because noah for so many years i'm you can tell i'm just a super creative person and i always doubt myself always fear always fear always thinking with the book for instance i thought to myself there are five million books out there on this topic nobody wants to hear what tracy browder has to say and that mindset I'm just a teacher, which is a horrible mindset for anybody to have. Um, And so I've been very guilty of that negative self-talk. And so we just have to remember that we add so much value and and people want to hear our voices and we have to use our voices. So to that point,
0: you also talk about being yes. Did I say it right? (laughs) <laughs> y-a-s be your yep. authentic self
2: mm-hmm. oh my goodness so being your authentic self th- okay so at my school for instance everybody says okay I'm, I'm not jumping on a table i'm not putting on a costume because that's what i do but be your authentic self and so if you are that light if you're the person that brings the joy Guess what? You're inspiring others. So being your authentic self is not making Tracy clones. It's not making Jennifer clones. It's not making John clones. It's about helping other people dig deep into themselves. What brings you joy? What's hold back to holding you back? What's holding you back? Let yourself go in the space. Kids, even in high school, love to have fun. We assume a lot of times that we have to teach way up here or even kind of monotonous in a sense, but kids wanna have fun. So if we're our authentic selves and they're gonna live with us for 187 plus days. And if I'm if I'm silly, or if I have that really awesome dry sense of humor with the older kids, like they'll go there with you. So be comfortable with who you are and bring that into the classroom. They want that authenticity. They want, when I make mistakes and goof, all the time. I laugh through it, but I talk about resilience and how we pick ourselves up when we make those mistakes. So that's being your authentic self. If a lesson flops, I tell the kids, guys, I'm sorry. I I had this good idea. I thought it was amazing. and But then I take it to the next step what do you think i could have done differently and so i bring them in so being your authentic self is not just being my authentic self it's it's creating a community for all of us to be the best us that we can be
0: yeah it's not being robin williams character from dead poets society it's being connecting through who you are one of the things that i was thinking of when i heard you talking about being your authentic self was like if if I were in a room full of writers and one of the writers just wasn't feeling it and just left the room to look at their phone and maybe get a Coke out of the machine or whatever, I wouldn't yell at that person, but something about being in a teacher's clothes and the confines of the classroom and the pressures that come with all this stuff, it forces us out of our authentic selves. So it's such mm-hmm. a great reminder.
2: Mm-hmm. And, you know, with that, Noah, I'll say this last little bit about that is- we need to be determined not to lose ourselves. And, you know, focus on our health because when we focus on our health and being healthy, that helps our mental health, it helps our outlook, it helps our joy. I mean, this year I've done some things I've never done in my life, like riding my bike to school in 28 degree weather. And I'm so proud of myself, but being my authentic self, like being unafraid to be healthy, to to push when I'm tired. Like, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing.
0: So I want to shift gears just a little bit, because on a recent episode of Intelligogy on Equity Talk Tuesday, um, mm. you were talking about how it was just in May that George Floyd was murdered, And you talked about how the profession in general was very on fire with anti-racist teaching, anti-bias teaching. But that was in May. And now we're in December. And when you talked about how you were worried about how we would sustain that fire, I was kind of curious to think, to ask you like, what do you want to see the profession doing more of to keep the fire going?
2: I want us to have more conversation. I I, I want more than anything for, for our non black and brown and marginalized students to, and, and, and adults and teachers, parents, everybody, I say this a lot. I want people to realize and know what they don't know and then seek it out. Like, I, I never want us to get to a point where we've watched the news and we've empathized and said, oh, that's bad, and, and think that's our awareness, and that's our activism, that's our change, and then we're done. So I, I I want us to keep having conversations. I want people to be thirsty to learn, and I want people to seek out the learning on their own. And then if you don't understand something or want to have a conversation about your learning, let's talk about it. But don't seek out the Black and Browns to be your teacher to just, we have to soak it in and learn on our own. And then we have to have those conversations to help us grow. I don't want the conversations to stop. And that's, that's what's happening.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what it means to go there?
2: You know, to have the difficult conversations, um to, to take off the veil, to go there really means truly understand and embrace that we don't know be willing to have the conversations and when i say willing i don't just mean yeah we're going to sit down and talk i mean know that you go into the conversation knowing that you have biases talk about those biases openly and and i've seen i've seen a i've seen a, a process a spectrum there's seeking the awareness and then there's the epiphanies that come with that And then there's a level of guilt, a dark level of guilt. Like, how did I not know this? Why haven't I done anything? And then there's anger. And then there's the, we've got to fix this mindset, which is, we can't fix it. Um, We have to work through it. So I just really want to help people along the journey to continue to seek to understand and have a mindset of... I not it's not enough to just say I'm not racist. You, we have to be anti-racist, and and not just in, you know, political unrest or police violence. It's it's how our black and browns are treated when they go into a store, being profiled. Our our, our black men walking down the street, like we we have to have broader lenses and and learn about all of those issues, and then come to the table and figure out how can we be a part of the change.
0: Mm-hmm in another interview you talked about how um in for people who are white they haven't they we forget the conversation until some kind of unrest occurs or until some kind of tragedy occurs and then we get fired up and then the conversation ends and then we go back to the way things were what you're saying about um what you're saying about keeping the conversation going is it's like a, it's an anti-racist work the way I understand it, the way I've read it from Ibram Kendi. It's not that you're not racist because we all have things in us that are ugly. We have all, we have ugly thoughts. It's part of being a human. It's working on those ugly thoughts and not ignoring them. Absolutely. So, so I was like, what you said was really touched me in a way just thinking about the way we keep those conversations going
2: I want people to sit down with their families when things happen on the news, like world news, and have those conversations, because here's the gap and the disconnect. Um, When my family sits down and sees something on the news, we talk about it, we live with it, we hurt with it, because we see our husbands or our children, um, it could be them. And we carry that weight into the school day and nobody sees us because people saw it on the news, like, oh, that's too bad, but then keep going. Um, We don't get to keep going because it could be us. Many of us know people who have encountered horrific um, racial encounters. So it's not enough to just momentarily connect so let's shift gears once again.
0: I want to talk about your family a little bit because you invite your family to be part of your podcast from time to time. Specifically, I want to zoom in on your son, uh, Donovan, um, just to give the listeners a little background if they haven't listened to these episodes. Um, your son, when he was 10 years old, took the PSAT and scored somewhere in the 800 range in a junior, sophomore in high school is expected to score nine. 900 or 1000. And then I guess Mm -hmm. in freshman year, he said um, he scored somewhere in the 1100 range. So he is definitely gifted and talented or has earned has that label, right. And listening to your episodes, it's given me a lot of insight into the world of a student, like seeing teaching through a student size. Having a son who's a gifted learner, how has that impacted the way you teach?
2: Wow. So not only is he gifted, he has ADD and ADHD. Um, A little bit more, he had an extremely rare birth defect as a child. Um, So rare that only when we finally figured out what the defect was when he was six years old, there was only one doctor in the United States that had ever performed the corrective surgery. So you're looking at a child who's a miracle, but has ADD, ADHD gifted and teachers don't get him. So, um, he's walked out of school crying sometimes uh, because he's gotten on teachers nerves. Um, and I don't want that for my baby and I don't want it for anybody else's baby. So, um, I'm just committed to seeing every child like they're my own child. And when I say I like to see kids like they're my own kid, my kid has been through so much. I don't want anybody else to go through that. So if I can bring the joy, if I can make kids feel like this kid matters, this kid matters, not just my class matters, um, that's what his little life has done for me as an educator.
0: School isn't always kind to students who are gifted especially students who are uh, what they call twice exceptional right and it's not because it's intentionally trying to hurt people i don't think it is maybe i'm just being too optimistic it's it's just it wasn't designed for mm-hmm. to be flex a flexible system it was designed to be a rigid system so what are some kind what are the kinds of things have you taken away from your interviews with donovan
2: Well, several years ago, um, he and I sat down one summer and um, decided, you know, what I've taken from the interviews and even before I started interviewing him on the podcast, I knew it was my job as a parent fortunately also an educator, to meet my child where he is and then take him to the next level. So that's one of the reasons we vibe. That's our word. That's one of the reasons we vibe so well on the podcast is because he thrives in this environment. Like he should be a journalist. He should be, he wants to be a coach, but um, just having those opportunities to really talk to him and challenge him. He, He adopts a family at Christmas. He rallies the entire community to do amazing things for a family who's lost everything. Um, I'm just committed to, to be his cheerleader, to be his advocate, and then be the same thing for kids that I come across in my space. In one
0: conversation you had with him, he said something that was, I don't think he meant for it to be this insightful, but it was so insightful. He talked about how hard it is for him to do remote learning because it's easy for him to get work done at school. And then he talked about how it applied to how hard it is for him to get homework done and how he's a B and a C student right now, but normally he's an A or B student. But Tracy, someone who is gifted with his level of thinking should never be anything other than an A student, right? It seems like structure matters more than we thought it mattered. It seems mm-hmm. like the structure of the school day.
2: The structure of the school day. And you know what I learned? Okay. So that episode that you're talking about when we recorded, it, like I have to break that episode up into like five or six episodes. We talked for hours. So you haven't even heard the best of that conversation. He talks about his brain and like how, how teachers need to teach for it to connect with kids. Like I'm looking at him and I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You should be speaking somewhere. <laughs>
0: yeah and he talks in another episode about how he likes to read like he might be scrolling on his phone and it looks like he's doing something else but he's reading about world war ii and you, in another episode you talked about how he just loves to read you talk okay. he talked in one episode about how he doesn't vibe well sometimes in his uh, gifted classes because uh that wasn't where his peer
2: group lay you know what noah i learned In that, in this episode that you listened to, I was shocked to realize, I mean, we, we say we know how much, how important the social aspect is to kids, but he was sitting right next to me right here. And I'm, I'm in my head, I'm thinking, I forgot as an adult, how much I thrived as a teenager on the socialization at school, like that was my everything that that's where i grow that's where i figure out who i am that's and 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 that's what he was talking about like he needs that he misses that it's hard for him to function without that he's Mm -hmm. been slightly depressed because of that that socialization piece Mm -hmm. it's everything for kids and he brought that home and i'm like wow
0: and i also connected some dots back to some of the work with social emotional learning like if a student doesn't feel like they fit in in your room somewhere, they're not going to do their best learning, because I mean think like with say Lennon and McCartney or with like the the Who that's a good example since we've been talking about the since you have been talking about the Who on a recent episode with uh oh Roger Daltrey and uh, I forget the guitarist name all of a sudden Pete Townsend mm-hmm. you know they they are a creative pair but they also push each other in this kind of unspoken way. And when students don't have a sense of community, it seems like just from listening to your son's take, that can also
2: impact their academics, their learning. Absolutely. And and he talks about the dilemma that he's in by being with his peer group, being with the football players and all those friends. But, but, he can't fit in. He, he he used the word he felt like he's an outlier with the gifted group of kids. So now where does he rather spend his time? In the social realm where he's comfortable with those friends. So just listening to him, I'm like, if every educator could just listen to kids like that, like he, ex- I promise, you know, I was sitting there learning so much from him. I'm just like, wow,
0: there's the strategy, right? Educators who have kids. You should talk to them and listen to them about what it's like. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Let's, let's bring this interview home. What do you say? Absolutely. Tracy, what is the main thing you want teachers to take away from your work?
2: I want teachers to not even take anything away about me. I hope that the work I'm doing causes educators and it inspires them and ignites them to dig deep within their soul. Because to me, the passion about education comes from the depths of your soul. So I hope when they listen and follow that it's this reflection that they're soaking in themselves. They're immersing themselves into learning, rediscovering, and refining who they are so that they can be better, not only for our kids, for the families, for themselves, for their own family, and then we all benefit from that self-discovery.
0: so hard to get amped to teach during this time of year under normal circumstances, and I'm sure that the chaos 2020 has brought along hasn't made things any easier at all. So I was really happy to interview Tracy and share her passion with you. And now I'm curious, what kinds of things are you finding successful with respect to your teaching right now? Whether remote, hybrid, face-to-face, or a combination of those things? We are looking to hear from teachers like you as we move into the second half of the school year. I've included my email in the episode's description, so reach out if you have an idea you'd like to share. You may even be considered for a future episode of the podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Tracy Browder and her motivational work, check out the links in our show notes. Oh, and one last thing. Thanks for tuning in to Write Answers.